You know, always up until last year, uh, on the last day of school, the last regular chapel service, I've taken time out to drive home the truths which we sang. Now, I'm taking this today. It's rather old stuff for me, I know. But I'm taking it today because sometime this school year will close and it'll be my last message. And I always want to give my last message at the close of the year. Uh, at the, just the kind of message I'd want to give if it was the last thing I was ever going to give on earth. My heart's wrapped up in this business. Uh, my lifeblood's in it. Don't you, when you come around here and look at these buildings, think that this has been an easy road. I've driven the highways of this nation when the world's been asleep and met problems that we didn't know how to solve and had 10,000 temptations that people have never known about to compromise. The hardest job we've ever had is this job. Evangelism's easy. It's not half as hard to hold revival as just run a Christian school. To put the emphasis on evangelism and soul winning and to keep driving and never compromise, never trim, never sacrifice your convictions, never cut the corners, it's no easy job. So I want to talk to you this morning about what I'd like to have you think most about and the emphasis of this school. So I'm reading just a few verses from the 8th chapter of the Acts of the Apostles. And the angel of the Lord spake unto Philip, saying, Arise, and go toward the south, on the way that goeth down from Jerusalem to Gaza, which is desert. And he rose and went, and behold, a man of Ethiopia, a eunuch of great authority, under Candace, the queen of the Ethiopians, who had the charge of all her treasure, and had come to Jerusalem to worship, was returning, and sitting in his chariot, read Isaiah the prophet. Then the Spirit said to Philip, Go near and join thyself to this chariot. And Philip ran thither to him, and heard him read the prophet Isaiah, and said, Understandest thou what thou readest? He said, How can I, except some man should guide me? And he desired Philip that he would come and sit with him. The place of the scripture which he read was this. He was led as a sheep to the slaughter, like a lamb dumb before his sharer, so he opened not his mouth. And his humiliation, his judgment is taken away, and who shall declare his generation? And the eunuch said, Of whom speaketh the prophet this? Of himself or of some other man? Then Philip opened his mouth and began the same scripture and preached unto him Jesus. Those are verses from the 8th chapter of the Acts of the Apostles. The rest of the verses have to do with the eunuch's baptism and confession. I want to call special attention to this word. And then he opened his mouth and began the same scripture and preached unto him Jesus. Now last night, something very remarkable happened on a commencement Sunday. Very remarkable. Did you know we had some of the most wonderful conversions here last night that you ever heard of in your life? One girl here in school met me weeping this morning and said my mother was saved here last night. One girl came to me last night sobbing out of heart and said, My two brothers who are visiting me, whom I've been praying, found the Lord in me. I ran another story of a young fellow who's visiting his cousin here and cannot speak English. He speaks French. And the Spirit of God got hold of him last night, and we found one of our French teachers, and he went in there and led him to Jesus Christ because he could speak French. You know, uh, that's the way the Spirit of God moves. We tell these preacher boys and all the rest of them in this school that you're always playing a safe game. You can't miss it when you win somebody to Jesus Christ. That's the biggest business in the world. You'll give a lawyer a thousand dollars to keep your boy off the chain gang when he deserves a chain gang. The soul winner keeps him out of the trouble that makes him deserve a chain gang. You'll pay a doctor everything you have to operate on your daughter to save her from dying. The soul winner keeps her from the death that's eternal. 
You can blot out God and blot out heaven and blot out hell and blot out eternity. And this world was all the greatest benefactor that graces this earth, so so on. You can't say anything against this. This is the biggest business that anybody ever transacted on earth. And the biggest business in the world anybody can do. You can get converted and start right into this job. You know, when I was over in Japan, they wanted them to sit down for two years, some of those modernistic uh, missionaries, and spend two years studying the language. Well, they need the language. Of course they need the language. But if you sit down two years and study Japanese and don't try to win anybody to Jesus Christ, you won't be fit to win anybody to Jesus Christ after two years. You know, you may not be able to speak Japanese, but you can hand out a Japanese tract. You may not be able to speak Japanese, but you can find somebody that can, and you can talk to him in English, and he can tell them what you said in Japanese. You can come up and find Jesus Christ in revival service, and then, then get your Bible. If you can read John three sixteen, you can go to work for Jesus Christ. You don't have to. Win. Anybody can. And I want to tell you something. These folks are not in the soul winning business. They're not in any big business at all. I sat up in the balcony on Friday night when we had our high school graduation. And tears ran down my face. I'd been to university graduation exercises, not comparable to what we had here in high school. I never saw a more dignified program. I never had anything that seemed to stir me quite so much. As I sat up there and listened to these young people and heard the chaplain of the class as he gave his little statement, and the valedictorian, what he said. And I said to myself, those high school graduates uh, know more about how to win souls to Jesus Christ than the graduates of many of the theological seminaries of the world. For as winning the loss to Jesus Christ. And I won't talk to you about it. And I won't tell you it's your business. And don't you go out from this country and tell them you are a Christian student from Bob Jones University if you don't win somebody to Jesus Christ. That's your business. You've heard the story I've told you students before numbers of times, but it never gets old to me. About that eccentric old man up in New England years ago that was walking around in the hotel a mezzanine somewhere and saw a woman, he looked at her said, lady, are you saved? She began to cry. A few minutes later, her husband came back and found her crying. She said, what's the matter? She said, oh, dear, the strangest looking man you ever saw looked at me and asked me if I was saved. He said, why didn't you tell him to tend to his own business? But she said, dear, if you'd have seen him when he asked me, you'd have thought he was tending to his business. That's your business. What are these preachers throwing away their time for? Erecting buildings and building cathedrals and organizing choirs and putting on programs. Devil's got us so busy holding up ecclesiastical walls we haven't got time to do the big business. It's a job. So it's what you're supposed to do. That's your business. That's what you're called. 
You are to be witnesses unto me. Well, if you're going to witness for Jesus, what do you say? You have to tell people that he came to seek and to save the lost. You can't witness for Jesus without telling them. Go to witness for Jesus Christ. You've got to tell them that he was wounded for the transgressions of the sinners and bruised for their iniquities and bore the sins of a world on in his body. Go to witness for Jesus. You're going to say he preached the sermon on the mount. All right. And when you say, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. The poor old fellow says, that sure sounds good. But, but mine is not pure. If you're going to witness for Jesus Christ, you have to say the blood of Jesus Christ, God's Son, cleanses you from sin. Don't you want to be a soul winner? There's never been a greater day for soul winners than you have now. Everybody's scared to death. I look at the face of these young people, as I've said so many times, and I'm sorry for them. They don't know what's said. When I was a boy in college, we looked in the future that looked pretty good. Golden day was coming. Everybody said, all you got to do is get ready. Just get ready. Just get, get ready. What's ahead of us? Just get ready. All you got to do is get ready. We said we better study this Latin and Greek and get what it can in science and get ready. But you don't know what to get ready for. There isn't a man on God's earth that can tell you what's going to happen tomorrow. How the scenes of nations will shift. There isn't a young fellow in this country that doesn't wonder when he'll be holding a gun on a battlefield. You look into the most uncertain future in the world. And this evangelistic wave that's sweeping over America is not an ecclesiastical move. It's the uprising of the teeming masses of people that are saying, I want to get hold of something. I don't know what to get hold of, but throw me a lifeline, somebody. Listen, I'm going down here to southeast Alabama the first eight days of July and conduct a meeting in the shadow of the church where I say, I live years old. Four years later, in that same little country church, I held a revival before I was 15 years old. Out of that revival came a remarkable conversion. A boy, father couldn't sign his name. Very intelligent boy. He became one of the big Baptist preachers of the South. Went off to that college and seminary. Been a soul winner all these years. He's retired and sitting down there, Billy home back down in the shadow of that church where I was saved and four years later I led him to Jesus. They're stretching a tent that'll seat thousands of people in the shadow of that little church. Fifty-two years ago. In those days, everybody felt they were certain and everything was all right. We had a country nobody could ever disturb us. We can lick the whole wide world. 
The Atlantic Ocean's between us and Europe, and the Pacific Ocean between us and the Orient, and Canada's our neighbor, and we're good friends. Never mind Mexico and South America. That's when I was a boy. But I flew across the Pacific the other day. And just before that, I flew across the land. Folks know that. They don't know. What's ahead of them? All this wild jazz life. Wild jazz life of young people. They are saying, what's the use? If we're going to get anything, we better get it as quick as we can. Let's get it. While getting's good before the world blows up. Let's get it. Let's get it. Young people, if you want a chance to win souls, you've got the best day the world ever saw. Most of the preachers have gone out of this business and have started to building an ecclesiastical machine. A big percentage of the church members are at cocktail parties. You've got a chance to do something. You don't have to have any credentials. All you've got to have is a divine touch and a passion. I'm sick and tired of all these conferences where they are telling people how to do something that they don't want to do. If you want to do something, you'll usually find a way. I've observed that on this campus. I walk across the campus sometime and I see a girl and boy, they look at each other and uh, smile. And a week or two later, I go through the parlor, and she has him over in one corner. <laughs> and she is talking for dear life. And he's sitting there saying yes to everything she said. He doesn't know exactly what to say or how to say it. But the spell's been cast over him. And you give him time. Before the year's out, he'll be writing her poem. Love runs errands. Love spends money. Love finds a way. What we need in this country is a passion for souls. Nobody ever told me how to win anybody to Jesus when I was a boy. We had no lecture courses. Preacher preached about a tan roof off a house. Getting a crippled fellow down at the feet of Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, Take up your bed and walk. <laughs>
He reached out and took up the bed and went on out home. And I just got one idea. Didn't know any theology. Just a boy. But I just got an idea if he could get a poor fellow to Jesus, he'd be all right. Just get him to Jesus, that's all. And I, I didn't... I didn't know what substitutional and vicarious meant. I didn't have the breaks you had. But I just went out and began to get them to Jesus, and they always got fixed up. Old drunken bums that staggered home with bloated faces and ragged clothes to curse Hungry wives and little weeping children. Get them to Jesus, they seem to get fixed. And old crooks that would steal, if I got them to Jesus, they seem to get fixed all right. Just get them to Jesus. Nice people that wring their hands in sorrow and hearts filled with despair. Get them to Jesus, they got a new light in their eyes. You have them but one job on earth, and that's to get them to Jesus. And that's a field nobody can hinder you. No trouble to find folks that need it. One of the most striking stories I ever read is in the Bible. They were having a big Bible conference up in Jerusalem, figuratively speaking. All the Bible dignitaries were there. I can see them now, going up to the temple to hear Dr. So-and-so talk about the Antichrist. I know the Antichrist is coming. There are many of them already in the world. Whenever I... Yeah, a man who's an expert on Antichrist, he's not usually an expert on Zolman. I've known him that could show you the boundaries of a Roman Empire in prophecy. They can take their finger and mark around the map and say, here's in. They can't find a sinner next door that's going to hell forever. And I know some of these prophetic teachers that can locate the North Country and prophesy. And you can see the grizzly bear coming down across Europe and scared to death, everybody. They can locate the North Country, but they can't find some hungry-hearted sinner that wants Jesus. They don't seem to be experts in that line. So up there in the Jerusalem, they're walking around. And Jesus happened to be in town. It's a great day when he's in town. It's a wonderful day when he comes to church. Some churches in America he never goes to. He said, I'll meet with you if you come in my name. See? Don't expect him by just called it's brick and mortar. God's in the holy temple. The temple where you find God Almighty on earth. 
is the place where saints assemble in his name. Not where there's a church bell and a pipe organ. He'll meet you in a little shack somewhere. So there he was, walking around town. Got out there and there's a pool, you know, the angel came down once a year in trouble of water. The man that got in first got cured of whatever might be the matter with him. And Jesus saw a poor crippled fellow and he said, why don't you get in? He said, I've nobody to help. What? Wonder where the people are. See him going down the street now with a red hymn book under one arm, the Bible under the other. He had Dr. So-and-so discuss whether all the saints are going through the tribulation or not. As they went along the road, they said, you know, I like brother so-and-so. Went very much better than I do so-and-so. He's my ideal Bible teacher. No body to help, boys and girls. They're all over this country. And they have no body to help them. Oh, you say, they've got the preachers. They've got the churches. They've got... Wait a minute. Don't dodge. Don't try to get out for this. You listen to me. If all the preachers were busy, all the deacons and stewards and elders and vestrymen and Sunday school teachers were busy, there'd still be a job for you. A man said to me a few years ago, he said, Say, Dr. Jones... You are doing the work of two or three men. You are doing this and you are doing that. How do you stand it? I said, no, sir. I'm not doing the work of two or three men. No man ever did the work of two or three men. You can't do the work of two or three men. Your work is your dead level best. Every man's work is his dead level best. If you don't do your dead level best, there'll be an unfinished job throughout all eternity. Your dead level best. That's your job. You know, God gave you, when you came to this world, a key that just exactly fits the lock on the door of a sinner's heart. And you're the only fellow with the key. The other fellow's busy with the keys that God gave him. And if you don't take that key and unlock that door it won't be unlocked because you have the key people talk about all the peculiar type evangelists Moody Whitfield Billy Sunday Chapman Tari all of them Sometimes they say those men are eccentric, intense. 
Well, there's nothing wrong about that. They said Jesus was crazy. On the day of Pentecost, they said they are drunk. They are drunk. <laughs> you know why God calls all these different fellows? Because they have keys that unlock the doors of certain hearts. And if they don't go, then the hearts stay locked. Listen, you have a key. And if you don't use it, you look in the face of God Almighty someday and answer for it. I am sick and tired of all this highbrow stuff. Paul said, I'm all things to all men that by all means I might win some of them. You know what he meant by that? He said, I'm educated and know how to move in different circles. Paul never used his education except for a contact. Paul, when he was with a Greek, was at home. He knew Greek culture. When he was with a Jew, he understood the Jewish background. He used his training for a contact. He never matched wits with any of them. All Paul did was to turn the gospel loose on him. And he said that God chooses the weak things of the world and found the mighty. He said it isn't God's way to get big men. It's God's way to get little men that know they're little but know how to throw the dynamite of God, the gospel of God around in the community. You know, we've gone crazy on wit matching. I told them in Japan, when they talked about Japan and its education, I said, God said the gospel's the dynamite of God. He didn't say outside of Japan. You just throw it around. It won't work, nothing will work. You've been in Bob Jones University to get training. What for? So you can be at ease. <laughs> you get with people that speak good English, they expect you to use good English. What for? To save them? No, English doesn't save them. You speak good English, so uh, you'll be at ease with them. Get a little knowledge of science so you can move around with scientific cycles. But don't take your laboratory to the mourner's bench. It won't do any good. And leave your English classic somewhere else. Except this glorious classic. Get out and give them the gospel. Don't strut. You are God's errand boys. 
and God's special delivery girls. No business is to take God's gospel packages and throw them around. If you can hand them in to somebody, all right. If not, throw it on the front porch. Don't throw it around carelessly like some people do your newspaper and let it rain on them. Be nice about it. But get that little bundle in the right place. Say, yeah, what is that? It's the power of God unto salvation, Jesus is able to say. You can do that business. I was up here some time ago in a certain university town. Got down around the table at this dinner, and a very charming girl said, You know, Dr. Bob, we're so glad you're here. Said, You know, uh, see Miss So and so beyond it. She is the outstanding student of the university. And we are so concerned about her. Said, we've been trying so hard to make a contact, but we've never been able to make a contact with her. And now you have to meet her on the intellectual plane. None of us have ever been able, and maybe we thought you could. Yeah. I got up and I said, education won't save you. You can't go to the penitentiary for forgery to get educated. You have to learn the right to go to jail. Can't sign your name. You may go to jail or something, but they'll never get you before you. I said, you need Jesus. All you need is Jesus. He is the Savior. I kept shooting at her. She didn't know exactly that I had her spotted, but I did. And I saw the tears begin to pour down her cheeks and chase each other to the floor. I gave him a taste. She said, I've been wanting somebody to tell me what to do to be saved. Nobody told me. Mrs. Sunday up from Indiana. I remember Mrs. Sunday when I was a young preacher. I went to Hartford City. Built a tabernacle there. Stayed four weeks. The churches had 1,500 members. They took in 2,400 members. You know how that meeting started? There's a man in town, they called him Doc Davis. He was the intellectual leader of the community. Close friend of James Whitcomb Riley. He's a philosopher and a poet. And one night after I'd been preaching a week, we used to preach a week or two, we preached the devil out of them in those days before we gave the invitation. They were hanging like fruit ready to drop. You know, we shoot them on the wing now. We are flying by, and they are flying by in the shooting run. So I stood up there and said, I want you to come up here and be saved. Come on up here and let's settle it. Everything was still and quiet. Strange Paul fell over the crowd. I've seen it many times. Deep conviction. God was there. He could just cut the power everywhere. And a little girl with the blue of heaven in her eyes and golden hair hanging down. Walked up to a man and I watched. She said, Doc Davison, I'm praying for you. Doc Davison, Mama says that you brought me into the world. And I'm a Christian. 
And I've been praying for you to be saved, and Mama's praying. He said, you praying me, honey? Yes. He said, take my hand and lead me up to the front. And she took his old horny hand, led him down the aisle. And they said, Doc, Doc Davis. And they looked around, and they began to swarm to the front. And that one night, over 300 men, not counting women and children, came to Jesus Christ. A little girl did it. Get down off your high horse and just go doing business. You'll rarely ever meet any intellectual people. They're awfully scarce. Got to meet one once in a while. He is intellectual. He'll understand. Just a moment. Got five minutes. All right. I got to the scripture where I was supposed to start. <laughs> and your Lord said, Philip, you go down that road, and he went down that road. Been some of you, you'd have stopped and argued with God for an hour. Debated consulted four or five people down that road. Somebody said sanctification. Don't be afraid of that word. It's a good Bible word. Don't get scared, some of you. Sanctification, if you have this kind of sanctification, I'm for it. If it's just a hallelujah sanctification, I'm against it. Used to be a steamboat on the Tennessee River that couldn't blow and run at the same time. Didn't have enough steam when it blew, it just quit running. Running couldn't blow. If you can say hallelujah and keep the wheels turning, all right. We'll never meet these folks that spend all their energy saying hallelujah. Sanctification is a supreme desire not to want to have your own way. Never shall forget that night in my life. I was a young preacher. I took the reins of my life out of my hands and put them in the hands of Jesus Christ. And I said, from tonight on, all I won't know is what you want. I haven't been all to men, made mistakes and blundered, shamed of myself, but... But well, there's never been a time from that day this is God's my judge when I've stood in a pulpit that the one supreme thing in my life has not been what do you want, not what the bishop want, not what the moderator want, not what does the machine want. What do you want? Listen to these closing days. Take the reins of your life out of your hands and put them in God's hands. I'm talking to somebody today that's made a mess of your life. You can't run things. You don't know the road ahead of you. But if you let Jesus drive, he knows the road. Put the reins in his hands. Let him run the thing. He got down there. He found a man reading the Bible. <laughs> Just like God. If God has a job for you to do, You'll find the job. 
Don't worry about what you're going to do. Start in where you are, as our good friend Premier Manning said you. Just start in. What ought you to do today, do that? You ain't worry about job. Just a minute. All my life I've been operating there. I never sold any engagements. I never asked anybody to invite me to preach. I never opened any doors. Fifty-two years I've been going along. Sometimes you get in a room and fix it up the best you can, maybe. I get it fixed up and I look around, there's a door open and there's Jesus said, Yes, a room over here. Come on in over here. Move in there and fix up that room. I never wonder where I'm going from here. Never have bothered me. Never has bothered me a moment. Fix that room up. Then I look around and say, well, I've done the best I can do here. Nothing else for me to do. Better get a pastor in here. Somebody else has got more sense. I've done the best I can. Look around another door's open. That's a nice room. So easy for a young fellow to get spoiled, you know, get in a nice room and get it all fixed up. And feel a little proud of myself, you know, in that room, because it's such a nice place, it's a big city, you know, and, you know, it's rather remarkable how I got here. Uh-huh. So I get that room fixed up and I look around and I can't see Jesus anywhere around there. I look up and he's up yonder in the attic door. He said, come up here. And I hate attics. They're dirty places. Everything in the attic. But move on in till you get humble. Get the attic fixed up and then you're humble again. He look around, he moves in another room. All my life been moving one room to another. Someday I'm going to be in a room. Fixing up, you know, looks like I'm about through now. I look around. It's getting dark. Lights. Must be something the matter with electricity. It's, it's dark. Lights are going out. I can't see anymore to fix anything. But wait a minute. Yonder's a door. No, it's not a door. It's a gate of prayer. It's opening. It's, it's, it's opening. It's opening. Jesus says, come on in here now. I've got a room I fixed for you. It must be a beautiful room. He's been there 2,000 years doing interior decorating. If he can paint a rose in the springtime... And light the eastern sky with glory in a minute in the morning. And paint the exquisite tints of a golden sunset with one little sweep of a brush of fire. <laughs> I imagine heaven will be pretty nice, don't you? He's been there 2,000 years putting the touches on my room, see? Young people, don't worry about where you're going. Just go. Job in hand, job in hand, job in One last word. He got out there and a chariot was passing. That was an opportunity on wheels, and the opportunity of life are on wheels today. On the bus home, you'll touch a life you'll never touch again. On the train, in the plane, on the ship at sea. Don't say God called you to be a missionary!
if you can cross the ocean and not talk to anybody about his soul. I want to know how many folks in this house today know you're saved. Know it. Stand up. Don't stand unless you know it. Now, be honest. All right, now, while we're standing, how many of you can say this today? Don't say it if you don't mean it. Don't put your hand up if you don't mean it. How many of you will say, Bob Jones, if I never have, I'll do it today. If I have, I'll tell God again I've done it. I'll take the reins of my life out of my hands and put them in his. If I've already done it, I'll tell him I have done it. I'll remind him that he's driving. If I never have done it, I'll do it today. And I'll go where he wants me to go. Be what he wants me to be. And I'll begin now, by the grace of God, to do the job at hand. And God helping me, I'm going out to win souls to Jesus Christ. Put your hand let the power of God fall upon us, oh God. Don't let this ever get to be commonplace. Don't let it get commonplace it does with so many people. Oh, keep us on fire with a consuming passion and a zeal and a fervency. And keep this school burning with a passion for souls till Jesus comes. We pray in his name. Amen.